Alright, hello and welcome to another episode of Love the Way You Ray. I'm uh, one half of your hosting duo, Matt, joined by my co-host Kevin. Hey everyone. And uh, if it requires any explanation, this is an Everybody Loves Raymond recap podcast where we uh, begrudgingly but faithfully make our way through the beloved 90s sitcom, Everybody Loves Raymond. If you've ever seen the film The Lighthouse, we're like that, but with Raymond's slowly going insane. Raymond is the lighthouse? Raymond's the light at the top. He's like the beacon in the top of the lighthouse that we're protecting. (laughs) Protecting, but we're all... Selfishly? Protecting, but we're also morbidly curious about we're willing to risk life and limb in our relationship with each other to see the light. It's probably a better analogy than it first seemed. I, it was. It's not that far How off. How many episodes have we done, Matt? 380? <laughs> Help me to recollect. No, this has got to be the end of the season by now. <laughs> Hark! <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm drinking kerosene right now. I'm not drinking ginger ale. I, I thought you might be curious oh. to know. Um I've decided, um, actually, not to drink ginger ale before our podcast ever again, actually. Gets you, gets you a little uh, little burpy, a little bubbly? No, um, that's not what I was going with for. I meant because I realized it's skewing my um, attitude toward the episode. It's having an effect, and the effect that it's having is that it's settling my stomach the way good ginger ale can when um, the episodes are making me somewhat sick, and then I'm having this sort of um, manipulated, somewhat positive attitude toward them because I've already kind of healed the damage with the ginger ale. Oh, so you so you want to have a more pure, unadulterated Ray experience. You want to feel the poison flow through your veins. Yeah, this is straight Ray, no chaser. This, I want to know how it feels to love this Ray. This black tar Ray. <laughs> China White Ray. We're in our boarded up trap house, squatting. Yeah, smoking that good Ray. Um, So we'll be talking about the 16th episode of Everybody Loves Raymond's first season. It's called Diamonds. And uh, yeah, we're going to do one episode tonight um, because, you know, we got some mail from listeners and they said, love it when you guys go long. um, And... If there's anything that uh, we love more than pleasing our listeners, it's upsetting them and doing the opposite of what they ask for. So, one episode today. One episode, just a little, we're just checking in. It's just a little, we're letting you know we're still doing it, but we're not, uh, this isn't the full bore. So you can just, you can sit back, relax, rules are out the window. Normally, I, I like to get a sense of your... Um, where these episodes place on your, like, quality radar and kind of lead in with that. I I don't think it's worth it today. (laughs) I think we should just kind of dive in. Well, well, I wanted Um, to ask you, when you saw the title Diamonds, what did it conjure up for you? Because it conjured up two very distinct things for me. One was, like, a very lavish gala, like Ray and Deborah at, like, like a um like a scene from like War and Peace or something like that. But then I but then I thought <laughs> Okay. And the like, second uh, one the movie was Blood Diamonds. Like I thought maybe Ray would it would be like the World Cup and he'd have to cover like the Congolese national team. 
and then he get involved <laughs> in the illicit diamond trade. I I think like uh, mo- bold, like what it conjured for me was much more quotidian. It was like uh, it was more or less what the episode was about. I wish I could juice that up a little bit, but I was like, oh, this is gonna be about relationships and what really matters in a relationship and that whole sitcom oh okay yeah i mean that's that's much more plausible i just had this visceral thing with uh with uh no i mean obviously having watched it i would have preferred (laughs) either of your two plots if if anything it rang a sort of like uh james bondy kind of bell to me like uh diamonds are forever kind of uh casino spy yeah it's got that that whole world kind of like a heist thing to it like Ray's gonna be playing blackjack in Monte Carlo. Although it was kind of a heist episode. It was. There's a couple of like really bad sequences regarding that. When you say a couple, you mean the whole middle third of the episode, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, pretty much. So I was I was trying to avoid saying this, but it just wants to come out. This episode sucked so much ass. It was terrible. You know, I thought it had a strong start for like the first three minutes. And it, it did. It nosedived, and it got really fucking bad. And we're going to have to describe each and every second of it. Um, actually, I think the interesting thing about our podcast, and uh, I know it's what the listeners come for, is that we actually, like, dilate time. Um, our recaps take double as long as the episode they're recapping, and that's really no exaggeration. Um, so we're actually, I would say, like, kind of on the cutting edge of, uh, you know, quantum theory with the way we approach things. Yeah, we are. We're ripping holes in the space-time continuum. And if you haven't realized that yet, this is your first episode, shut this down. <laughs> go back to episode one. And, shut it down. And get, get the fuck up to speed. Uh, yeah, I mean, we you know we have different opinions about that. I'd say, just say shut it down just, and shut it just down. Just shut it down go, and stop. Go back to Krasniar Cry or whatever. No, I shouldn't be so cruel. No. I'll say... No, I'm cutting that. I'll say Strasbourg. Shut it down and do what? <laughs> I'll say Strasbourg and Spasiba to our listener in Russia, Tatarstan specifically. Oh, uh, yeah. I was going to save this stuff for the end, but while we're here at the top, we can mention, uh, uh, you know, shout out hello to our first Russian listener. We see you on the geotag. Yes. And uh, thank you to all the Europeans who have... Uh, stuck it out especially the swedish they really seem committed and we appreciate that yeah and and thanks for not letting us travel to your fucked up country no. <laughs> it's, no, it's a wise it's a wise move they shouldn't it's very wise eventually these are going to become like dispatches from like a, a cratered collapsed nation these like <laughs> radio signals coming out of the like defeated u.s of just like two guys talking about every love freddie loves raymond at wine <laughs> this is it's the final cultural artifact is everybody loves raymond this is what they have to rebuild from they have to recreate american society from the way we describe it here all other traces of american culture are destroyed it's not even the show raymond it's our recap show there's a certain uh, elegance to that it wouldn't be for the worst I think you could build a a very nice society off of our podcast. Yeah, I mean, there would be one commandment: must love Raymond, and they would have to interpret that like a you know like a cabalistic mystery. Like, what does it mean to love Raymond? Who was Raymond, and why was it you know mandatory to love him? Was what is? The, I think it could really produce something interesting. Yeah, what is the nature of Raymond? Is he divine, human, both at the same time? 
And it'd be like, you know, Raymond has, you know, like 999 names. Sometimes he goes by Deborah, Robert, Marie. They have no idea who these other characters are. <laughs> like, yeah, these, are they just, are they lesser deities or are they just other expressions of Ray himself? Yeah, this is getting good. I would sign up for this religion. Oh, yeah. Must love Raymond. All right, so um, the episode opens with a little B-roll of Shea Stadium, former uh, site of the Mets. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. New York Mets. Yeah. Uh, which I can't keep track of. Are they telling us that Ray covers the Mets? Um, well... Or the Yankees. I know it flip-flopped. I, I don't know because then he's interviewing uh, – well, I guess it's not a spoiler because we're doing the episode – Barry Bonds. Yeah, this is the guest spot of the, the – in true Raymond tradition, it is a 30-second guest spot that has no bearing on the plot. Right, and you mentioned James Bond before. That's like how James Bond movies always start. He always defeats like a separate villain at the beginning. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So they are kind of like paralleling it. Also, maybe that was intentional. You think they're trying to mirror the James Bond structure? Well, Barry, if not the uh, Barry theme. Bonds was wearing like a kind of weird like Blofeld suit, like one of those like Nehru jacket kind of things. He could- yeah, no, that's what I was going to ask you about. Like, why is Barry Bonds dressed like a priest after the <laughs> baseball game? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he lo- he looks. It looks like he didn't even play a game, but they're talking as if he played, right? And he's, it's like, yeah. It's, yeah, well, so that's my, but that's, that leads to an even bigger question because why are they playing baseball in February? Because it's Valentine's Day on this episode. Yeah, that's right. And he, he, and he has no reason to be at Shea Stadium. Otherwise, he plays for the Giants. Or I don't know if he was on the Pirates. Back right, then. so it would have been, but even so, it's an away game. So it's like Barry Bonds, if he's on the Giants or the uh, Pirates, they're playing the Mets, they're at home. But nope, they don't play baseball in February. And if you're in spring, even if you're in spring training, it's not in Queens at the at Shea. So it's just you have to either say to yourself, okay, this scene is from an earlier time period in the show. It's just here for fun. While at, and then you have to like, you know, reorient to February of 1997 after that, or they just are really like that sloppy and they don't give a fuck. <laughs> I think it's probably the latter. Yeah. I'm also thinking that maybe they have, like, a stable of these, like, athlete guest appearances that if they think an episode is shit like this one was, which we'll get into very shortly, they can just tack one on at the beginning. So they'll be like, oh, wow, that was that was cool seeing Barry Bonds, huh? Yeah. Then they forget that they just watched, like, 20 minutes of pure shit. No, I was thinking that, too, that, like, um, that these are, have all been filmed well in advance. They have, like... They're not part of the shooting schedule for the week and that they just kind of assigned them to various episodes and that some dummy in the uh, production office assigned this to an incompatible episode that takes place in February. Some some bozo. Yeah, some real jabroni. Big Yahoo. I feel like jabroni fell off a little bit. It got a little overused and now it's, it's no longer with us. Jabro- yeah, jabroni has an interesting cycle because it's, it's – a wrestling term the rock uses it all the time and then it, it became like ironic are you saying it is a wrestling term like it started with the rock I, it, it didn't start with the rock it's before the rock but he started using it like publicly in his promos and then one of you jabronis pulls the handles and there it is one brahma bull two brahma bulls three brahma bulls you jabronis hit the jackpot i think it was and the first time that like 
regular wrestling fans, it, like if you were like really into wrestling, like our our friend Long Island Dean is, uh, real man child. But anyway, like you you <laughs> like you know that term. But I think it was like pretty inside until The Rock brought it into the mainstream. And The Rock, you know, All he right, was so then, funny. He was so good on the mic that people started using it seriously. I mean, it's a funny sounding word. But then I I know that it, the Always Sunny guys brought it back into the mix. Like, yeah, yeah. Probably about probably like a good eight or nine years ago now. Um, but I think maybe that's where it got overexposed, and Jabroni is just like it's a little too. It's like cloying now. Like you know, you're trying to be si- like goofy with it. Yeah, you're, you're definitely trying to go for like some silly thing. Because like when always always Sunny did yeah. it, you know the, the yeah whatever. I don't have to get nah, into. Nah, Bozo this. always works though. Bozo's great. Bozo is fantastic. Anyway, Barry Bonds, um, you know, like you said, uh, dressed in robes apparently um <laughs> and they have a conversation he and ray after the game where uh barry needs change for the payphone and if this was a different kind of podcast we'd probably have a whole tangent about payphones wow yeah right well, sign of the times yeah if you were born after um, 1995 let me explain <laughs> yeah wow yeah it's just sometimes like you can hear the shadow of what an even worse version of this podcast would be and it's like i just shudder it's it's Dark. Well, it's very easy to hear. All you have to do is go over to Talk and Ray with Talk Jeff and, Ray, and Kate. You suck. They suck, and they they disappeared <laughs> like rats. I'm hearing. Like I'm hearing dogs. that. I'm hearing that Talking Ray is actually very bad. <laughs> I thought we made an agreement not to trash them anymore. Right, so I, yeah, I should stop antagonizing them. They they seem they seem nice, but. Uh, utterly incompetent. I'll leave it at that. Yes. Anyway, um, right, Barry needs a quarter from Ray, and Ray makes a joke like, oh, do you need me to break a million? And, you know, Barry gets kind of upset. Uh, Mr. Bonds is, uh, you know, kind of miffed that people always want to talk about his salary. He's very indignant, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I recognize the approach they're trying to take. They're like, why is what I make, you know, any of your business, what you make is not any of my business. But it, I think this is almost, payphone aside, this is a pretty good representation of how times have changed a little bit. Like this whole, like, you know, I'm just a regular guy trying to make a living, just happen to be a multimillionaire superstar athlete. Yeah. Like that. There's no sympathy there anymore. Right. <laughs> it's gone. Yeah, like Barry Bonds, he he wasn't trying to be like a like a media mogul as well and like come out with like clothing lines and shit. He was definitely Well, I wasn't even saying it like Bonds' personality. I just mean like people, like the audience would not sympathize with like a mega millionaire trying to like Oh yeah. You know, hey, just just leave me alone. Let me be a normal guy with my millions. Oh yeah, there's definitely that aspect of it, like that sort I know what you mean, that, like, meritocratic thing or something like that. Like, oh, he worked really hard. We should give him a break. But also, like, the nature of how athletes are in public has changed quite a bit. They become celebrities and they commodify their own image for endorsements and stuff. And I'm not even I'm not even um, commenting on it in a, in a value judgment sense. No, yeah, it's weird, though. I mean, baseball is always behind on that. Like, those guys, I don't know. They're not cool. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Oh. Yeah, there hasn't been a cool baseball player in a long time. No, yeah, there's been like characters, but there's never. It hasn't been like a cool. 
baseball star in a very long yeah, time. There's, I there's think. that guy in the Giants with the beard. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. So it comes out that Ray makes $50,000 a year. <laughs> yeah. Barry basically drags it out of him so that he can explain to him that you're actually being paid really well for the paltry amount of work that you actually do um, and explains that he makes what, like a dollar a word basically, $500 an article. Like, uh, And Ray is pretty pleased to find this out about himself and his own finances. Yeah, the, the math was a little advanced for me. But um, the fact that Ray Barone makes any money doing what he does is criminal in and of itself. So this scene was more sad well, than anything. Well, I was going to say, though, that like it was kind of weird for them to really put a dollar, like a you know price tag on on Ray's job and say here's what he makes. Yeah, because he agrees. He say you know he he exceeds to Barry's math, and then um, now we know. Now we know the re- frame of reference for every other financial decision. But then I was reflecting. I was like, they they put specific dollar amounts on lots of things in this show. It actually happens a lot. Yeah, the car, uh, the amount of money he lost to his dad. The poker, the poker yeah. game, yeah. Um, there's a couple of things. I mean, and then in this episode, the ring. The, yeah. Um, and I wondered if that was intentional because we're going to have to talk about a certain value ring, and if they wanted to like get his salary in there somewhere so that you had like a, a reference point for it. Yeah, I th- I think there's some of that going on, and I think also fifty thousand. I think was calculated, especially in 1997, to be like a very relatable salary for middle class and approaching mm. upper middle class people like he's he's doing well for himself in 1990s terms but he's not he's not like he's not in that upper echelon just yet he's still relatable enough but you can still explain like why he has the house and etc yeah I, I i there's definitely some some focus groupy stuff there but i could also see it just being like phil throwing out a random number he's like that's what people make right (laughs) yeah phil's definitely like one of those guys Uh, who's like what's the price of bread (laughs) what are they paying for bread these days he'll he should know he's he's mr eats on tv for a living oh you don't think he doesn't he doesn't pay for any of that food that's why he has the whole thing going it's a scam it is a scam he's a loathsome person but anyway yeah, so I don't care about the way this scene resolves. It's a, it's a it's an excuse to put Barry Bonds on the screen for a second. Um, then the opening montage, and I had a question for you. Yes, the Robert sound here is a car honk, like a horn honking. It, right, it's a different beep than the one we had. That was the question. It's different. It, it's a little bit different. It's not as high pitched. Slightly bigger car. Slightly bigger car. Slightly bigger car. This is like a like a compact. Car. So, all right. So we're not driving like a little clown car around now. We're driving like a yeah. Like a Hyundai Sonata. Yeah, this, uh, yeah, like a Ford Escort or something. Okay, so that's what they did here. I'm not, I, I've made a resolution. I'm not going to get all bent out of shape about the montage sound tonight. Um, I'm very proud of you. I think everybody knows my thoughts. It's, it's, a, it's, one, it's you know, the next in a series. No ginger ale before fit- the episode. No, uh, you know, explosive rant about a sound effect. This is, this is, this is inspiring. I, I might stop drinking kerosene during the episodes. That'll be, that's my step forward. <laughs> but will you will you stop trashing talking Ray? Is that well, on the table? I mean, come on, man can only change so much. We might as well cancel like, the show um, if we do that. It's like Alex at the end of Clockwork Orange. <laughs> that's yeah. You know, we think we've reformed you. You're not going to say anything yeah. about them, and then you press the record button, and the camera just zooms in on your <laughs> smiling <laughs> face, and we know exactly yeah, what's going to happen. Milk. I got a lot better. 
munching away at eggy wigs and lomtics of toast and lovely steaky wigs. Ugh, milk. Uh, so when we cut, like when we cut into the episode proper post montage, uh, we are led to believe that Valentine's Day is approaching. That's that's sort of the premise here. Um, Ray is over at Frank and Marie's. He needs construction paper so Allie can make Valentine's cards for school. Yes. Nicely done. You've set the scene. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So I guess I'll do all the work then. Um, (laughs) What's the – well, that was was a clear pass off. I passed off to you there. Oh, that was – I thought it was – I thought you wanted me to have a comment about it. Well, you didn't have either. So you just complimented my telling of the scene. You didn't add anything to it. Listen, I'm like um, I'm like Kate on Talking Ray. Remember when she's just like, <laughs> watch it yourselves, folks. That was a very Kate response, and I think that you're – there's no way not to see that you're doing this intentionally now. All right. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll regain the, uh, the professional demeanor we're known for. No, let me, let me pass it to you more directly then. Pass it what? to me directly. Oh man, I, I almost did like a unironic and unintentional Seinfeld. What's the deal with? I'm gonna have to think of another way to phrase this, but I am curious about the history of the Valentine's Day in like kindergarten and first grade, second grade age, where everybody is sort of compelled to make Valentine's cards for each other and tell each other how much they love them. All the kids. You're talking about like my personal history. Like no, history. I'm talking about the cultural history, and you know, I'm not looking for like a like a report. I just want to know. Um, I hadn't thought about that whole school tradition in a while, and it strikes me as incredibly strange now. Yeah, it's odd. I think I guess it's all like mother's idea, and I guess they think it's like a cute thing to do, but really, it's just a. You yeah, think so? It, this is like a PTA mom's program for their own gratification. Yeah, I think so. I mean, what else do you think it could be? I don't know. I feel like it's sort of like it's like Victorian era conditioning of children to like this is how you court, this is how you woo. <laughs> these are the relationships that will be uh permitted and these are the ones that will not. Like it's like training. Oh, I, yeah, that's a pretty good point. I hadn't thought of it that way. It's like a formalized way an acceptable way to show affection towards somebody. And if you instill it at a young enough age yeah maybe it does have something to do with that well it's dark because i i do feel like it was a lot of like not it wasn't political but there was like it was heavily monitored um but i also couldn't remember from my own school years like were you i remember the whole thing of like you have to get valentines for the whole class but was it did you like did you actually get valentine's cards for all the the boys or was there like a forced uh, like heteronormative thing going on too i think it started off as it was like any other sort of holiday that you would uh, celebrate in class that you would give like cards for like let's say you gave cards for like christmas or easter or something like that you give them to everybody i think Mm -hmm. it's i think it started off that way but once you reached an age of like let's say like nine like eight or something like that. Second grade, third grade, fourth grade. I I think that's when it became. It's between like boys and girls, and I do think it was. I do think it does reinforce these um, social mores like you're talking about. But I think the immediate purpose it serves 
was it was something that these moms thought was cute or something like that. Okay, so a little bit of pageantry for the parents' benefit of, like, we get to watch our kids do this and, like, almost, like, dressing up in, like, older, like, adults' clothing and being like, oh, look how cute they would look doing these things because they're babies and, like, that sort of, like, it's cute because it's freakish thing. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I mean, think of, like, when when you would have dances before, like, the age of uh, 11 or 12. Or something like that. Oh, God, yeah. That, that's hard to... That's, like, hard to think back to. Like, fifth grade dances. Yeah. And, like, I, I would dance, like, Ray and Deborah to the Staples song <laughs> with, with all the girls in my class. <laughs> truly, you're, like, 11 years old, and it's, like, a big... It's, like, a like a debutante ball. It's a coming out for everybody. It's bizarre. It is. It's, it's um... It's, like, taking these, like, aristocratic, reactionary cultural notions and kind of, like, sanitizing them for a more, <laughs> yeah. like, bourgeois middle-class audience they act like there's no pressure to it but they like it yeah yeah no i i I remember them being highly unsanitary um i remember like like the appeal like the the, at that age when they started introducing the the dances it was like some some kids in the class were at a point where they were like interested for like first you know possible unsupervised contact with you know, other other kids their age. And then other kids were like, mom's not watching so I can drink all the soda in the, like, punch bowl and eat all these, like, Doritos that they put out for the kids who don't know what else to do and, like, kids getting sick and, like, just being, like, a gross scene. I was definitely the latter. You were in the fifth grade, you were just eating Cheetos was, and downing oh, yeah, Mountain Dew? I was drinking Surge and <laughs> running around with my other um, uh, prepubescent friends, yeah. Yeah. It was great. No, see, I was on the opposite end. I was frustrated with the people like you who were, you know, not adhering to the decorum of the event and not looking for, uh, you know, some, like, your yeah, first experience like, of adulthood. You were, Maturity. You were like a dandy in, like, a like a Jane Austen <laughs> novel. Dandy fop. Little, little dandy, little Lord Fauntleroy. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um... So so Allie is making Valentine's cards for her whole class. Ray needs construction paper. Um, while he's over there looking for it, uh, you know, because your 60-plus-year-old parents with no children would definitely have construction paper lying around. Um, yeah, as opposed to your wife. With chi- yeah, with exactly. Children. It's, it's nonsense. Um, Robert comes in, and he's very excited to announce that he is in the day's paper. Now, this is a pass-off. I'm passing it off to you. Okay, he's in the paper. And it's revealed he has arrested somebody. And he says, oh, look who's at the end of the handcuffs. And it is Leon, who was the guy a few episodes ago who <laughs> Frank buys the non-sitting slacks for, <laughs> from, for uh, Marie. Yeah. The, the, and Frank is very... Go ahead. No, the, clo- the clothes that are like you're warned not to wear them. That, that's the one thing you can't do with the clothes you buy from Leon. <laughs> yeah. So Leon's this, you know, he's this character. I, I kind of, this is why I got a little excited towards the beginning of this episode because I was honestly impressed that they brought back a marginal character, an unseen character like this. I thought maybe they were going to do something interesting with it. He wasn't but, at uh, the poker game, right? No, I don't think so. I don't think we've seen Leon. Not either. And so anyway, Robert has apparently arrested Leon because uh, Leon's running like a uh, – 
counterfeit and fake goods warehouse. Um, I don't know. Is that the? Can you put it any better way than that? No, that's very succinct. Very well done. Yeah. So he's he's selling all this like you know designer bags and and all sorts of stuff out of the warehouse. It's all fake or stolen. And Robert finally uh, puts him behind bars, and you know they're they're rattling through the kind of things he was selling, and eventually um, it comes out. There might be a little more. You can fill in the gaps if I'm missing something, but it comes out that sure. Frank bought Marie's engagement ring from Leon, and then Ray realizes so did he bought Deborah's ring from the same guy. If Frank's diamond was fake, then Ray's must be also right. I'm trying to th- there's I think there's like one or two things to add in maybe. You know, I I really don't care. <laughs> okay, okay. So Marie Marie takes this I I it's, like I said, I, I have to I have to admit to it. I'm beginning to enjoy Marie more and more. I think she's my favorite character at this point. Uh um, Really beyond yes. Robert. Robert is, you know, he's too much of a good thing sometimes. He's spoiling it. He he was fine in this episode, but the the previous one he he lost me a little bit. Um Okay. Okay. Anyway, in this one, uh, I love I just I, I love Doris Roberts' hustle. Whenever she hustles out of the room, it's like a great little motion. Yeah, she does something funny with her arms. Yeah, yeah she, she like, lift, like lifts them up arms. and pumps them. Yeah, like it's a good. She see that's like effortless physical comedy from a pro. You know, she's she's not turning toward the camera and making a face the way that Ray does these things. He, she's like. I know that I will be on camera, and this is a funny way to act, and she'll just act that way. Like it, it's just so much more I- incorporated into her playing of the character. Her line delivery is really good on some lines too. I gotta say, yeah. Like there was one episode when she's like, "Look at how they live, the wants." <laughs> like that was pretty. I know good. it. I, I she reads the script well. You know, like she knows. She sometimes it's like one of those things like when somebody like an actor reads a joke poorly and you can tell that they almost they themselves like didn't get it totally. She always gets yeah. it. She knows what the joke is and sometimes she even improves upon it. That's um, why it was so vexing when Steely Ray was talking about Phil giving her acting notes, which are basically just like be more like my mom. Yeah, and uh, the the whole shit on the Oprah set when he like got mad at her for doing her own lines from the show. <laughs> It's very Freudian. He probably had her, like, cut up hot dogs for him for lunch, make him mac and cheese. (laughs) You're not going to be able to master the role unless you live the life of my mother. You have to do my laundry. You have to come and pour my cereal every day. The only saving grace is that I I do know Doris Roberts wouldn't do that. She seems like one of the few people involved at this who is probably not completely bent to Phil's will. That's why Phil had her killed. <laughs> uh, uh, so anyway, if we, I'm trying to get back on this train here. Um, so yes, yes, yeah, sorry. Ray is now worried that um, the ring he bought for Deborah when he proposed has a fake diamond that's probably worth nothing, and he thinks that Deborah's going to find out. You know, she hasn't in his mind. She hasn't noticed in eight years, but that she's going to find out now somehow and so he has to get the ring from her and replace it and he's so ashamed of not knowing himself and this is you know i I thought this is like you know it makes sense he's learning this for the first time um 
that he's yeah. like, I'll spend a thousand, I'll spend two thousand dollars on this ring, which ends up becoming significant. Yeah, but like, and and oddly, like, um, I don't know if redemptive is the word, but it, it kind of shows a a moral compass for Ray. But I guess I don't know. Is it purely like self interest? Is he only doing yeah. it because he's afraid he's going to get in trouble? Or do you think no, he, he like, says it in the scene? He says in the scene, she's going to think I'm a slime ball if she knows I got it from Leon. That's all it is, is Ray's going to get found out. Hmm. I, I guess well, you're right. It, but it's one of those things where you have to, there's so much disbelief, like, that you have to suspend because, like, that line, she's going to think I'm a slime ball. You've been married for eight years. She has her opinion of you at this point. And, like, if you tell the story that you were tricked into buying it from your father's friend and you didn't know and you found out this week and that you're willing to replace it and you're going to give her that gift it this whole plot could go away in two minutes yeah it is very easily resolved it what it hinges on is ray's you know um like pathological inability to um handle a situation normally and relate to his wife yeah. in a healthy fashion but it also I think we're supposed to think that Deborah wouldn't forgive Ray. You know? Like we are we are supposed to sympathize with Ray from a certain standpoint. Yeah. Like we are supposed that... to fear Deborah's ire for him. We're supposed to think she's like unreasonable. But that's that's almost a little bullshit on the on the part of the show to be like wives, they'll never forgive this, you know? Like it's it's a little oh, pushy yeah, in that direction. It, it's very insulting and you know misogynistic. That's and, the right word. Yeah, insult. It's yeah. insulting. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, we're back at home. Ray is uh, coming in. Um, I I don't know. To be honest, I only wrote one and a half things for this scene. I do know it's somewhat important. Um, but what I mostly fixated on is that uh, Deborah's voice is extremely raspy. She was clearly under the weather in this whole episode. Yeah, I was. It, it was very disconcerting because I don't know if you have written it's down jarring the I I got your Valentine right here when he comes yeah. in he's like, I got your Valentine right here <laughs> it was so menacing yeah, it was she's uh, like a husky uh, woman of the night voice sort of thing yeah and I didn't even know what that really meant <laughs> I got your Valentine <laughs> it's, it's it's her vagina I guess. All right. Is it, though? I mean, the, the kids are in the room. Oh, yeah. Allie's in the room. And she's talking. Yeah, like I mean, this. like, it's not like, like, if that is the Valentine, it's not right there, or at least it shouldn't be. You know, it should be elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's Deborah's. Deborah is a bit out of character in this episode. I guess we'll talk about it a bit more as we go yes. on. But I, I, uh, let me let me preview that for you. My final note on the paper is Deborah is now insane. That's, that's, where <laughs> that's it goes. how you ended. It. Yeah, I wrote Deborah's change of demeanor. Because yeah, there is like it's like a like a Norman Bates level at the end. But anyway, yeah. So so basically, this is a scene of like you know uh, a Robert comes in right and they're talk. He wants to get a Valentine's gift for Amy, the woman he's dating now. And uh, Deborah says, like, oh, you can't go wrong with jewelry. And obviously this is making Ray very uncomfortable because he's going to try to steal Deborah's ring to get the stone replaced. And he doesn't want anyone to be tipping her off, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, but I, I wrote here that I actually kind of like this, like, twitchy, recoiling version of Ray. Like, 
<laughs> yeah, he's like a, he's like it seems like the most natural physical comedy that he's done so far where he like is constantly shrinking from people and twitching and like, you know, yes. flustered and I don't know. Yeah, he's kind of got like seems right. He's kind of got like a Quasimodo thing going or something. Like his hands are like <laughs> yeah. always up by his face and uh. Yeah, and then like they they lean into it with Robert at the end when he's like afraid of being hit by Robert. Yeah. He keeps uh, flinching. Robert is a uh... Robert cuts quite an impressive figure in this episode, clad in his uh, police regalia. Yeah, and I, I just like this version of Ray where he's, like, clearly the the wimpy younger brother who is, like, you know, somehow manages economically and um, socially to be on top, but who is obviously the weaker specimen anytime the two are put next to each other like this version of the two of them i i could i could stick with for a little bit yeah that's true they usually present ray is um he's always coming from a place of superiority when he deals with robert because he's got the house superior, and the family yeah. and stuff yeah it's it's a bit of an inversion of that this episode that was nice nice to watch yeah um so then, it's this is a. I, we talked a lot about classic Raymond cuts in the last one. This is the other one, like cut to at night in bed, um, which I find just kind of interesting that they they've located like so much of the show's drama in the middle of the night when Ray is awake and Deborah's asleep. It's a really common setup for scenes in the show. It is almost every one gets at least one sequence, and it always boils down to. Well, this one, I guess they've changed it up a little bit, but it's usually that uh, Ray wants sex and Deborah is mad, and that's the story of their marriage. Yeah, that's pretty much the the scheme. Yeah. But no, here, so um, it's all about shenanigans, and I use that word intentionally because I hate it. This It's one of my least favorite words. Oh, I thought you meant the scene. Cause I, I do not like well, the Well, no, that's what I'm saying. I chose my least favorite word to describe oh, I what see. might be my least favorite scene. Or set of scenes. This is a long sequence. Yeah, this went on forever, and it's so stupid. It was really bad. And it gets such a reaction from the audience, too. It was one of those ones where I was just fixating on, like, one or two people's laughs. There was some woman yeah. who was very impressed with, with, with what was going on. Oh, so you heard a woman's voice. I heard a, a man who could not get enough of of this scene. So to give the listener a sense of what we're describing... Um, Ray is going to attempt to take Deborah's engagement ring off her finger while she's sleeping. And it's a lot of, you know, he is testing to see if she's awake or not. He's poking her. He's saying inflammatory things in her ear, yeah. seeing if she'll wake up. Then he's fiddling with the ring, but her it's not coming off her finger. And she's, you know, moving in her sleep and he's panicked. I, yeah, I don't she's, know. Yeah, I don't she's know. tossing and turning and... The audience is lapping it up like me with kerosene. That's the thing. The scene is is flooded with laughter. The crowd can't stop laughing. Yeah, this is like the show-stopping bit of the... Well, this in conjunction with, I guess, the next sequence with the bathroom. They've clearly staked a lot of this episode on Ray's physical comedy, which is terrible. Oh, right. To to the greatest extent so far. This is the most they've ever leaned on it, and it shows. But... At this point, I had a because we're basically going to have to describe the same scene three times because they just do three versions of the same <laughs> scene. Know. In between those, to give the listener a bit of a respite here, 
Um, when did you realize that Deborah already knew the stone was trash? Because this is when I realized it. And I was like, oh, it's that plot. Yeah, I guess so, because she she wears it to bed. She wears it in bed. I, you have a wedding ring. I don't. But I, don't most people take them off when they go to bed? No. I think it's actually pretty standard to leave it on. Really? Engagement rings, though, with a big stone that are like, yeah. that, you know, they're bulky and chunky like that, that comes off. Hmm. I guess, I guess it was more the next scene where I had the inkling. I just started to realize that that was the way this plot was going to go. It was not going to be any more complicated than that. It was going to be a classic, like, uh, it's not quite the gift of the Magi, but it was a little bit of the, I went through all this effort to get you this, but that is, you know, countermanded by the effort you went through to fix this. And so we have these, like, mutually unresolvable things. Yeah, it's like... Is the gift of the Magi a working reference? Can I say? Does that get my point? No, I I thought of that as well. It's like gift of the Magi if O. Henry was a complete simpleton. Who who never got it? <laughs> well, I mean, isn't the gift of the Magi about like a a comb and a watch chain? It's not like it's the craziest thing in the world. Also, it's not by O. Henry. Is isn't it? I thought it was. No, it's by Guy de Maupassant. Why did I think that was by O. Henry? It's one that the guy gets the um uh, he gets like a like a tie for like his wife's hair, and he sells his watch yeah, to do no, it's it like a comb. It's like a, I think it's a yeah, comb. Yeah, and he sells his watch, and then she gets him a chain, and she sells her hair. Yeah. Ah, oh, fuck. That's that's a French story. I think the author's name is Guy de Montpassant. Well, um, this will be my last episode on the podcast. <laughs> Next episode, his voice will just be replaced by someone entirely different. I'll make no mention of it. <laughs> yeah, it just fades me out. I don't deserve to be on this. I'm already fading out your audio track no. right now. No. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. But I, what I the important thing was that at this point, I knew the episode could only go one way, and it was going to be when Ray finally has to say what he did. Deborah has to reveal that she had already known, and it, trust me. I mean, they try to. They try to milk that for all it's worth. It gets crazy. But um, this scene in the bed, trying to get the ring off, is followed by another scene. And, like, when when the scene cut and it came back to the same bedroom at night slightly later, <laughs> which is another classic Raymond cut, I um, that's when I just, I just gro- groaned audibly and was like, oh, I can't believe they're doing this yeah. this long. It was rough. It was painful. So Ray comes in with a flashlight. Could you... <laughs> Do you have an explanation for this? Yeah, I I don't know. Like, why does he need the flashlight? The flashlight's only gonna wake her up. I I don't. I know it it didn't have any purpose. Yeah, he's just he's an idiot. And then so she she so he comes in with a, a flashlight and a plate of butter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the butter obviously is to like lubricate the finger. But I think he has like doesn't he have a butter yeah, knife? He's gonna slip the ring off. I think he has a butter knife with him too. Well, he, yeah, he just took, like, the whole butter setup from the kitchen, and he's buttering her finger, and then uh, he's trying to slip the ring off, and she wakes up at this point, right? She... And he's shining a flashlight directly into her face and holding a stick of butter. And uh, this this line, it honestly shocked me, because I, I, I would never have come up with something like this. I don't want that to be taken as a compliment, just, do you have the line written down? <laughs> you want to play the baker and the mine chef? What? What the... F- 
What could that possibly be a reference to? Dude, I, th- I thought about this for like a solid 10 minutes. It- it's... Baker in the mine shaft. Is it like a loaf of bread in like the opening? It reminds me of like, have you ever seen Caddyshack? When Bill Murray is, he's watching the female yeah. golfers. And he's like, oh, let's, let's play uh, hide the salami. Yeah. Is it, is it supposed to be like in that vein? Just like a really filthy reference? I, I guess. Um, but sh- shocking is is the word for it. I want to say like I want to say like yes, definitely, and then come up with this like elegant explanation of it. But I really don't have one. Baker in the mine shaft. My my stronger take is that it's like they they butter and a flashlight were available. Obviously, butter has a purpose. Flashlight because it's dark, and they were like, what if he brought a flashlight? Yeah, and then okay. it's literally it's like it's like a true non sequitur. Like of here's what's present. What are things that we can attach to those things, and then we'll call that a game, and it'll be funny because it's the thing so that's for me though is when she like says, is- "Okay, but I get to be the baker this time." Right, which means someone's shoving butter into somebody else, right? <laughs> I guess somebody's shoving butter, or was the joke supposed to be like she, well, like that she seems- woke up and she was dreaming and just like, no, that's not it, because she was lucid. Well, da- Patricia Heaton's like. Her comportment when she said it was not the kind of like you know caustic, dry, sarcastic Deborah tone that it would that would have indicated she was going to shove a stick of butter up Ray's ass. Like I was like, okay, but this time I get to be the baker. It wasn't like that. It was like, all right, but I get to be the baker this time. It was very placid and uh, you know. Yeah, I'd, uh, I don't know. It's, this was very strange, very jarring. Bad. Um, so then there's the commercial break, and uh, where it's the next morning. Deborah is uh, taking a shower. Ray is shaving in the bathroom, and uh, in her raspy smoker's voice, she says, "That was fun last <laughs> night." That's how the scene starts. Yeah, this is a very like um, placid is a good word for it. The way Deborah is throughout much of this episode. She's very affectionate towards Ray, which we haven't seen before. There aren't like a lot of sarcastic remarks to him, and obviously it's just it's just playing up no. the sense of um, guilt and urgency that Ray has for getting this done before uh, Deborah finds out and uh, castrates him. But um, <laughs> but it, it, <laughs> this this scene though, I I was like, is it going to be? shenanigans only are we gonna have nothing but physical comedy for the rest of the episode out yeah because this scene it was basically just the bedroom sequence but in the bathroom now right it was another option for the previous scene and like i don't know like i i'm not married but i would think if i had a wife i was (laughs) you told us you know (laughs) enough but i think if i had a wife and i was in the bathroom with her and she was showering i wouldn't like the way he was acting towards her is like he was in middle school and he snuck into the girl's shower to like see what was going on. Like it's it's your wife. You should be comfortable. Like I I get he's on like this like weird heist mission or something like that. But the exaggerated way that he no, like, he can't move around freely, it was so fucking stupid. Well, yeah, so to to provide a little context, um Deborah's in the shower and Ray, while he's shaving, notices that she has finally taken off the engagement ring, and it's in a dish on the edge of the tub. 
So it's behind, like, you know, a curtain separates it from Deborah, so she wouldn't see it if he took it. But I, I guess he suspects that if she heard him come near the shower or heard the ring, like, jingle in the in the cup, that when it goes missing, she would then know he took it. But even that, I had to, had to really do a lot of legwork to get there myself. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, it, it's I'm reaching the end of my uh, my wits, as they say. As you so that like in this scene spends three or four minutes with Ray flopping around on the ground, army crawling, oh, trying so to like dumb. turn this into like we said, it's like a heist episode where he's like trying to like dance through the like you know radar or uh, not radar laser. Uh, security system in his own bathroom. He eventually grabs the ring, goes flying out of the bathroom uh, in terror, and crashes down the stairs, where once again it sounds like he is bringing the house down upon himself. A lot of really silly, cartoony sound effects. Yeah. Although not one that we've heard in the opening montage, mind you. Oh, you, you went back and listened through all the sound effects? I inventoried them. Well, I mean, they really rely on various types of birds in the opening montage and car horns, and we didn't hear any of the those. That's true. That's true. It was mostly like, you know, picture frames being smashed. That's that's the key sound they use for fall. Yeah, yeah, like um, when he was Santa Claus. That. Yes. Well, that's the exact scene I was thinking of, the Santa Claus fall that should have killed him three episodes ago. I don't remember that much physical humor from Ray um, when I watched it, like, back in the day. I thought that was like solely the like that's uh, new to you this time. Yeah, around. I thought that was solely the province of Robert. Yeah, it's um, I I do have a feeling maybe it gets like drained out of the show over time because they they get more characters to position around Ray to let him just sort of dryly remark like you know he he just makes his like mean jokes about everyone that's kind of his thing by I think the middle seasons. Yeah, yeah, and then and he lies like that's. Yeah, he lies and then makes mean jokes. Um, and you get like uh, eventually Amy's brother, Amy's parents. That that gets that's a real uh, wellspring for them. Oh yeah. Um, although I am interested to see, I, I'm interested to see how much of that ends up actually being funny because Chris Elliott, uh, who ends up playing Amy's brother, is really funny. Yeah, and um, Fred Willard plays her dad. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty good setup. I I have a feeling they they will figure out a way to waste those talents but i i still have like a weird bit of hope yeah but that i think that i don't know when they show up i don't i think it's like season five or six i don't think we're gonna i don't well, think we're gonna make Pilgrim, it. saddle up <laughs> i don't think i can make it all right so uh to take us out of this scene i just want did you notice there was a um a new piano flourish in the uh, interstitial scene between the two yeah, at, it, it repeated, like, the same two notes at the end a few times, right? Yeah, it was like a honky-tonk piano riff at the end that uh, I think Rick Morota was, like, he's getting a little more, uh, a little bit longer leash, a little room to move around on these tracks. Rick Rick is unleashed. Rick is bebopping and scatting all over that thing. Well, it was a pretty simple piano move. <laughs> it wasn't anything great. Uh, it, made, it made me, uh, well, I won't say. I got your valent. Well, I got your Valentine right here. <laughs> that's what you say to to Rick. That's what I. That's what I say. I'm unmarried. And as oh, have I mentioned, <laughs> I'm not married. Uh, in the next scene, um, Amy shows up. It, it's Valentine's Day, 
And Deborah is in a tizzy. She cannot find her ring anywhere. She's panicking. She can hardly spare a glance for Amy, her friend who's come over uh, and who is nervous about her date with Robert. Uh, but Deborah, you know, couldn't give a shit, and she's <laughs> frantically tearing the house apart looking for this ring. Yeah, Deborah's devastated, and she's very short with Amy. Yeah, Amy calls her a bitch. She, yeah, I, I think calls her is maybe a little too strong. Uh, Deborah's like, "Sorry for being so," and Amy's like, "Bitchy." And then they say, "Yeah," and then they have a nice moment about it. I think. I don't know. I might have imagined that. She's a fine addition to this shit show because she's terrible as an actress like the joke they have her come in with when deborah's like i'm looking for my engagement ring and she's like oh man well you won't get much help from me i've been looking for one of those for 10 years and it's yeah go go back to go back to being on the kathy comic strip oh my god then the the joke itself is all punchline and yet she spends like 25 seconds getting it out like it's the slowest rolling joke and you know from the first word where it's going the audience is like laughing in advance out of politeness if that's that's all phil's doing too nepotism of the worst kinds right so just to remind you if you are picking it up here monica haran if you are shut it down (laughs) well that goes without saying shut it down shut it down but um yeah monica haran who plays amy is phil rosenthal's real life wife and anyway at this point uh you know deborah deborah has no time for amy she's gonna go back to searching and robert rolls in and uh he's clearly smitten yeah he's um like we we talked about the scene before they introduced a little b plot that robert's nervous about valentine's day with amy oh right yeah it's whatever there's no gift to get her right there's no gift well that's how the that's how the jewelry comes up initially. Right. Robert's looking for a good gift. Amy likes green. Deborah's like, go with jewelry. So that's what you're having in your head when this scene begins. Yeah, but he walks in with a big box, and you as the audience members say, oh, boy, I wonder what's in the box. Oh, boy. <laughs> what's, he, what's, but, what's he up uh, to we now? Can't, <laughs> we can't neglect what ends up being in Amy's box, the gift she bought for Robert. Oh, God. <laughs> What so to show like uh, the the show's intentions at this point are to demonstrate to you that Amy and Robert are actually perfect for each other, right? That's the the superficial meaning to the text here. Yeah, they're two freak losers, unlovable by anybody right, so else. So how so how does the show demonstrate that Amy and Robert are perfect together? What gift does she get him? She gets him a tie with guns on it, but not any type of gun, as Robert remarks. It's the standard issue police gun. Yeah, Smith and Wesson, et cetera, et cetera. I forget the whole speech, but yeah, it's a little guns tie, you know, little pop off guns all over. And he, I don't think he's ever received a gift he appreciated more. He's completely moved by it. Yeah, is is this when he goes in for um, a big smooch and he's interrupted, or is that after the uh, the lizard? Um, no, it's before this. So he, I think, I don't know. (laughs) There's an interrupted smooch. There's also one where Amy tries to kiss him and he only really offers the cheek. Yeah. um, Yeah. Because he doesn't know what she's doing. They're supposed to be awkward and you're supposed to find that charming, I think. Um, to be honest, that's not like a sarcastic thing. I don't really know if you're supposed to find it charming or not. 
Um, I, I think you are. But okay, I'll I'll, I'll you go. I'm gonna keep my. No, I'm just, I'm not gonna comment yet. I'm gonna give it a couple episodes. Let to, it let, to it, say. let it simmer. Let it simmer. Yeah, because I I still don't know like to what degree they want you to just make fun of them. To what degree they want you to, you know, find them cute? Are they just like large children? I you know I don't know. They're... <laughs> That's I don't know. So the um, Robert's gift to Amy when she gets around to opening the the very large box, um, he says, uh, "Surprise! It's an iguana." Yeah, because her favorite color was green. It's it's quite a leap for Robert to make. And we talked about it last episode. Robert has been married before. So it's yeah. it's it's not like Robert is uninitiated into dating or what what it is to be like a functioning regular human being. So this was a, I think that I think they just like had a lizard on set for some reason and they wanted to use it in the show because there's the shot of oh, him like, waving the lizard at her and she's She's all freaked out, yeah. and it's like legs and tail are moving. That's the whole. And point you know, of it. you know that that very specific kind of sitcom joke where the actors are like allowed to laugh at it, like they don't have to hold character because the joke is for everybody. Yes. Like even the actors are part of the fun. Like Robert broke character, Amy did. They're all just cracking up about this iguana that he's waving around. It was definitely like. Jack Hanna was on CBS's morning show that day, so they had iguanas on hand. Yeah, that's a good analogy. I'd be interested. We'll have to talk to Steely Ray, see how Phil talks about it. Because I can see him be like, everybody was howling on the set. Nobody could hold their laughter in with this iguana. I could see that, or I could see him like having like, you know, a whole book of the memoir, like a whole set of chapters that is about like his personal journey to get over his fear of being around the lizard and <laughs> how it's all a big metaphor for comedy, <laughs> which I assume every chapter of his book is. He kind of looks like an iguana. The way he's, there's something very reptilian about his face. Are you saying that Phil is a reptilian? It's, it's, the evidence is there, you know. I all I do is provide the dots. You can connect them. So we'll be uh, having Q as our guest next uh, next session. He'll tell us about the Phil yeah. reptilian conspiracy. And I, I wanted to surprise you this time because um, we were going to have a special guest this time. Uh, friends of the podcast, Regis Philbin, who um, I have a direct line to. I was gonna I was gonna try to get him on the show. I had a direct line to him. I was going to try to get him on the show, so I emailed him, and he sent back. Um, he said he would rather die than do a podcast about everybody loves Raymond, and that was about twenty minutes before he died. And you called him on it, and he had to prove it. Yes, and I, th- I said I think you're bluffing, Reach. And then I thought, but I, th- and he but I turned on the news. Philbin doesn't Philbin, bluff. Philbin doesn't bluff. Philbin don't bluff. Yeah. Daddy, don't lie. Rest in peace, friends of the podcast. Uh, Regis Philbin. I honestly, I liked Regis Philbin a lot. I've not that it's sad he was a bazillion years old, but he was. A, I feel like he was a, a decent personality. On yeah, TV. I thought he was very entertaining. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, um, 
when Ray finally gets in for Valentine's Day, he has, you know, a dozen roses. He's uh, he's checks the you like the audience gets a visual on the ring. He has managed to steal it, replace the stone, and he's excited. He hides it in the couch, right when Deborah comes into the room. Yeah, he comes in and she's she's crying at the roses. She exclaims that they're oh, beautiful. She's, she's in shame. Oh yeah, she's messed up. She's she's feeling guilty that she lost this right, ring. Her Whatever. Hairs all over the place. There's makeup streaked down her face with tears. She's hyperventilating. Yeah, and Ray's like, he's like, you have to accept that it's gone. <laughs> he's very he's very cruel and callous. <laughs> But that no, you're jumping ahead though because that's when he, she makes her confession first. Yeah, that, yeah, yes, you're right. You know, in the beginning, he's like, "Oh, it'll turn up, it'll turn up," and he's like, you know, he's rubbing his hands because he knows he's gonna look good at the end. Or he thinks he's gonna look good on the other end of this. But then Deborah confesses the reason she's so upset that the ring is missing, and you know, I think by extension, we're supposed to gather the reason she never takes it off and holds it so dear is because. Right after Ray proposed, she had actually had the stone replaced with a stone that belonged to her grandmother, which we find out was worth fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah, and this is when Ray knows he's in uh, actual deep shit and that he messed this whole thing yeah, up. Yeah, Ray's dishonest ways catch up with him. He sinks into the coffee table, dejected. And now, what's he gonna do? Yeah, and it, like you said, like when he's like, you you got to accept that it's gone, like. The first time was funny enough, but he does the same joke like four times. Yeah. Literally the same line. Yeah, and it's just like – it just reads as like super callous and (laughs) – even for the stance of this show. Yeah. Eventually his like insistence on that phrasing over and over is just just callous and like (laughs) imperturbable. Yeah, it's it's Valentine's Day and he's scolding his wife for being upset about losing her engagement ring. Yeah. So – you know this again, another like, like just beaten to death scene of like one core joke, and like I said, they they've literally repeated word for word several times. Then Deborah finds the ring that Ray did put together for her in the couch. She recognizes right away that something was wrong with the stone, and uh, did I I don't know because here's where my notes fall apart. Somebody suggests pie at some point, right? Yeah, Ray says something. That's how he distracts Deborah to um, put the ring in the couch cushion. Because he's like, yeah, my... oh, before yeah. before she gets the ring, he's like, you know what would fix all this? Pie. pie. <sighs> so fucking stupid. But there's there's some. I want to. We have a second because we are only recapping the one, so we're not as pressed for time as right. usual. What is what is that? joke supposed to be about what is the pie thing i think that is vintage phil rosenthal i think he thinks it's like a wacky like monty python-esque uh non sequitur that's supposed to be like oh he's so wacky but it's also like he's like a child again too like a like but there's something about the the like the Rosenthal hallmark that it's like it's a not quite sequitur you know like it's not fully absurd because if it was, it, it might be funny, but it's not. It's like just close enough to reality that it registers as just like an I undercooked joke, rather than like there might be something to this uh, reptilian thing, because it's it's almost like he's only able to like approximate humor, <laughs> like he knows it and like yeah. like he knows the structure, 
of it in like a technical sense. Like he knows like what jokes are. It's just he doesn't know like the substance of a joke that makes it funny. Right. And it's like somebody somebody like instructed him or he like, you know, gathered through machine learning that surprise is like a key element of punchline and like pie, throw that in at the end. Or like sees like Three Stooges bits where they like actually throw pie at each other's faces and people laugh and he just thinks that like what's funny is the pie itself. When you bring pie out, it yeah, exa- yeah, it's like it's like a silly word. Every everybody loves pie. The thing is that not everybody does. Pie is a very divisive dessert, honestly. Mm, yeah, I, I suppose you're right. Not everybody loves pie. I, I was being. Let me apologize. Um, this is this is the one statement I'll choose to apologize for. Of the myriad offensive things I've said. Well, no, I mean, do you think more people in the world? Um, like pie than those who like cake. Not, oh, not I mean, prefer one to the other. But do you think there are more cake likers false, or more pie likers? That's a false binary, though. You know, like you. I think a lot of people would say they prefer I'm, cake to pie, but that's a different thing than saying I like cake, therefore I dislike pie. Well, just because it's a different thing doesn't mean that it's a false binary. What I'm saying is, do you think more people would, on a survey where there are only two questions, do you like pie and do you like cake? Do you think more people would answer yes to the former than to the latter or vice versa? It's a no, well, question. I, my answer is I think most people would say they prefer cake, but that doesn't mean they dislike pie. That's not on the survey, you shit. All right? I'm giving you a two-question survey, and I'm asking you which do you think no, will I, get more yeses. No, I reject the format. All right. This one is my question of the week for listeners. If you'd like yeah. to email us at muscleofraymond at gmail.com. Uh, Kevin... Uh, refuses to touch the question, so I throw it to you. Do more people like cake than like pie? It is not about preference between the two. It's simply, do they like it? So you could answer yes to both questions. That's that's fair. Yes, I like cake. Yes, I like pie. Which one is getting more yeses total? So you're saying it's you can check one or both or none? Yeah. Oh, oh. You have to answer both questions, but you're free to answer either any both questions however you oh, wish. Okay. You can write yes and yes. In that case, I, I think I would agree with you. I think most people would say cake. Like, you, you'll get more cake answers, I mean. Well, I made this whole speech about it now, and now you're just going to capitulate? I don't consider it a capitulate. You know, in this cancel culture environment, I should be praised <laughs> for being honest in my thought process. See, I think that... You know, when I when I cut back to you from roughly two and a half minutes ago, you'll see that you've contradicted yourself and are thus canceled. Listen, co- contradicting yourself is the mark of an advanced thinker. Isn't that a... That's, that's what Hegel said. A, um, I mean, didn't Walt Whitman say as much, right? Do I contradict myself Walt Whit- ne- very well n- then? Never heard of him. <laughs> sounds, <laughs> sounds like an idiot. Uh, okay, um, yeah, so I have pie, question mark, and then an arrow pointing to Deborah is now insane. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, because her, the demeanor, it's like I said before, it, it's like at the end of Psycho. With she's like manic, dates. though. Yeah, it was, it was really Yeah, she's like, she's in like, she's got those like, those like tears like streaming while she laughs, like she has no grip on reality anymore, like, and then... 
they're sitting on the couch, and this is like this this final scene with Allie that's supposed to be like a classic resolution. Like you know, the, they're sitting with the situation, which is that yes, Deborah lied to Ray, um, and replaced the crappy stone without telling him, and she's like, "I did it because I love you." And then he's like, well, I stole your ring and gave away your grandmother's $15,000 ring because I love you. And then Allie comes down and is like, this is a Valentine's that I got from Kenny in school. And piece of construction paper with gum stuck inside it because he blew a gum bubble for yeah. her. Again, another I think a, a, another one of those but like non sequitur things. Like pie. Well, it's supposed to be like... Look at that! Like, look how little it took for her to see that he that he likes her. Like, cause he, Allie's like, she, I think he likes me or something. Um, and you're supposed to be like, and Ray's like, well, you know, that's all it took. And then uh, instead of having like a nice sort of sitcom resolution, Ray's just like cheap bastard. And then they both scowl, and then the scene they also cuts. they also immediately undercut it in the stinger. Because they clearly have not learned a lesson about, yeah. you know, uh, true affection and humility and being happy with what you have. Because now they've become, like, characters in a Disney movie or in, like, Home Alone. <laughs> Dumpster where, diving. like, Ray is Deborah's hapless henchman. Because she says, we're not leaving until you get <laughs> the diamonds. <laughs> with her fucked up voice. Yeah. No, the the Disney the Disney villain and henchman thing is a perfect comparison. That's really spot yeah. on. Yeah, she's like Cruella Deville or something. It, I'm trying to think of like a specific one where like the villain, you know, is in the uh, in the gutter by the end of the movie, but they're still ordering around their their hapless henchman, as you called it, like to do some kind of trivial, pathetic um, errand. I, I, I can, I, it's like I can see so many examples that I can't pick out one. I yeah, I like hundred one Dalmatians, maybe. Ah. Well, I, I can't. To be honest, I just can't remember how that movie ends. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Did, I mean, I assume that there are still a hundred one of them. I don't know. They, the dogs, the dogs are happy at the end. Yeah, I don't know. Like some somebody has somebody owns the dogs now because or what? So, Does Cruella Deville die? Yeah, she um No, she lives. She gets turned into a coat. She becomes a dog. <laughs> no, they um she they becomes, have a, <laughs> a Cruella Deville rug made out of her that the yeah, dogs sleep on and, and on the hearth. She gets shit and pissed on by the dogs for eternity. <laughs> her her like mouth is open like a bearskin yeah, rug. The, yeah, right, like the same way a bearskin rug would be set up with, but it's just like an old nude woman. <laughs> It was a bit grisly for a for a kids movie, but well, it was supposed to be kind of French, right? That was the deal. Oh yeah, they're they're depraved, as we know. Right, we don't have any French listeners uh, on our our podcast, so we can speak, uh, you know, pretty brutally about them without fear of repercussion. Shit on France. I haven't I haven't tried to use any French hey, maybe words. Maybe this yet, I don't think. Uh, you did. There was a whole like raison d'être. Joie de vivre thing a couple episodes oh, ago. Oh, no, I meant this episode. I always try to use, like, rapprochement and shit. Oh, yeah, no, I was going to say, you, you throw a lot in. I do. I'm I'm so desperate for... My future wife may be listening. I don't know if you guys know. I'm I'm not married. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything you want to add to the summary, the recap itself here? No, uh, I will say, if, if we're going by the metric of... Um, 
we can predict what the worst episodes are by how long we spend on them. Yeah. This might be the worst one so far because we're at like an hour 15. Yeah, so we kind of knew when we watched this one that we could really only handle a one-episode recap if this was going to be stuck in the middle of it. I mean, there's a, I think we can do a little a little housekeeping with the extra time since we're not rushing off the mic as usual. Um, I, I did want to mention that we did get a couple emails after the last episode, and it was, it was nice. I, I liked it. I won't make a joke about it. I'm not going to give anybody's names because I'm not sure if people had that intention when they sent in, but for the people who wrote in, it's cool to hear from you. Yeah, it, it was. It was legitimately... Um... Except for the person that just made me watch the Zapruder film. What was that about? Yeah, our our greatest president getting his <laughs> head turned into pie. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> no, but for real, somebody just gave us a gag YouTube link saying it was something about O'Doul's, and then it turned out to be... He- the JFK assassination. So thanks for that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was it was uh, some troll. I I call them trolls. Imagine, a lot of people. No, but if, some people call them trolls. Imagine though, if it was an honest mistake. <laughs> that was just an like a YouTube link. They they completely intended to send us the right one, and it just you know a couple letters just, off in that URL, and we ended up on that. They just happened to have the Kennedy assassination open in another tab. Yeah, they just copied the wrong link from their browser. They have 45 Jeff- tabs of JFK assassination. One tab of an O'Doul's almost, marketing campaign from 1997. I almost envy John F. Kennedy um, being shot to death on film in front of his wife before Everybody <laughs> Loves Raymond came out so he didn't have to see it. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, uh, you know, because he was married. <laughs> <laughs> All other things aside, you know, uh, what you got to take away from JFK is that he was in, indeed married. He was. That would be in my vows, I think. <laughs> I hope great our marriage ever... is as strong and the lasting as the if Kennedys. I can, I can. I would consider it the highlight of my life if I got shot to death in the head. In Until front a magic of you. bullet do us part. Yeah, and uh, all right. This I don't know how much of this I can honestly keep. This is ridiculous. (laughs) Um, So anyway, thanks for the emails. Um, If you were goading us into having a conversation about this, it worked. Um, Then uh, I think I think Kevin, it's safe to um, give them a a sense of what's coming up next, right? We have a little bit of a plan for the last few episodes of season one. We do. We have some. uh, We have some tentative plans. Big plans. Yeah, here's what we're laying out. Um, we are thinking that in our next episode we will have a guest for you guys. Um, I don't want to say too much because, you know, it might not happen. But someone Kathy with some Lee local Gifford. expertise is, is our idea. Then uh, we're thinking of um, getting back to the old standard, two at a time, just the original crew. And then we will be upon the first season finale and we will have uh, a celebratory episode, a um, bit of a bit of a party style episode i don't know why i thought yes. that whole thing was going to be interesting it was boring just to say it <laughs> no it's good to keep our our listeners apprised uh i'm sure they'll tell us in the emails that they that they appreciate um setting out a plan and well it's, i just it's up to us now to stick to it you know we have responsibilities to many different sorts of people i don't take that lightly 
I'll just uh, drop a whole bunch of sound effects of car horns over this whole sequence, and no one will ever know we said anything. <laughs> That's, that sounds good to me. Get some birds in there, some crows cawing. Only the classics. Greatest hits. So Only the classics. All right, you got anything else you want to? Um, No, I don't think so. All right, diamonds. <laughs> All right. That's it. That's it. All right. <laughs>